0: When I became a mom, really, actually, when I got pregnant with my first daughter, the world around me kind of changed. I didn't think that I changed, but I felt like the world's perception of me changed, and specifically my colleagues and my bosses.
1: I'm Carly Zakin. I'm Danielle Weisberg. Welcome to Skim from the Couch. This podcast is where we go deep on career advice from women
2: who have lived it, from the good stuff like hiring and growing a team, to the rough stuff like negotiating your salary and giving or getting hard feedback. We started the skim
1: from a couch, so what better place to talk it all out than where it began on a couch?
2: Today, our guest is Amy Nelson, co-founder of The Riveter a company which started as a series of co-working spaces built by women for everyone and is now positioning itself as a modern membership network of community, content resources, and co-working spaces built by women for everyone. With a firm belief that motherhood should not be an impediment to your career opportunities, Amy launched the Riveter while pregnant with her third daughter. And in the two years since, the Riveter has expanded to 10 locations nationally, all while growing her family. In June, Amy welcomed her fourth daughter. Amy, we've been a fan and watching uh, and cheering about what the Riveter has been doing. We're really excited to have you here. Welcome to the couch.
0: Thanks so much for having me.
2: So let's get into it. First, just skim your resume for us.
0: Yes, so I grew up in Ohio. Uh, My first job was as a lifeguard and then a nanny and then a server. Um, I went to college at Emory in Atlanta and then I worked for Jimmy Carter at the Carter Center on elections and democracy around the world. I then went to law school at NYU and practiced First Amendment and financial litigation for a decade before starting The Riveter.
1: What's not on your LinkedIn profile that we should know?
0: The thing that is not on my LinkedIn profile is my involvement with politics. So I was on Obama's National Finance Committee, and I was one of the national co-founders of Gen 44, which was the under-40 arm of the campaign for fundraising.
2: What does your
0: typical day look like? So... That's a hard question. Between four kids and a startup, I don't have a typical day right now. When I'm in Seattle, where I live, we start the day really early. I try to get up and get in 30 minutes on the treadmill before my kids wake up. So that's a 5 a.m. wake up.
2: Wait, like every morning?
0: When I'm in Seattle. Or oh, right when now, you're in yeah, Seattle. Yeah. So it's like, in, also on the weekends, because unfortunately, toddlers don't sleep in. Wait. So,
2: uh, I get is up your, really early. is your youngest,
1: who was just born in June, sleeping through the night yet? So my four month
0: old is sleeping through oh, the night. I know congrats. I should knock on wood. Yeah, sorry. Um, <laughs> totally just changed. Just, I'm <laughs> I know. Sorry, I did not have that experience with my other children. So I feel very grateful that that's happening right now. But I get up really early and try to get in 30 minutes on the treadmill.
2: I, I just like, this is a point I'm going to yeah, stick we're on. Not, yeah, we're not going to move we're <laughs> the, the treadmill. treadmill. We're going we're to <laughs> stop here for a little bit because neither of us has kids yet. And the idea of waking up, and even if I had a treadmill in my apartment, which I don't, The thought of getting on it that early in the morning, I don't I think I could do it maybe once a year. That's why they created Peloton with community because that is so fucking hard to do yourself. Are you the most
0: driven person ever? Well, it's funny you should mention that because I actually mental breakdown. (laughs) I actually got the Peloton treadmill. So Peloton oh. now has a treadmill because tre- okay. I used to love going to classes because it is incredibly yeah. hard to motivate to work out I know. on your own. Peloton
2: did not sponsor this, but they probably should. So <laughs> we, shout out. We want, we want one. Yeah. Give it
1: to
0: us. It's amazing. <laughs> but I love to go to classes. But after I had my third child, it was like, that's not happening anymore because somebody's always getting up really early. And my husband and I flip travel schedules a lot because we both travel a lot. But the other thing is I am a self-admitted very early bird. So I was a swimmer growing up. So I was in the pool by 5 a.m. for my entire high school career.
2: Okay. So the other thing we've heard that we just want to get into right away is that you schedule blocked off time in your calendar with your kids every day. We talk a lot about life hacks and productivity hacks. Um,
0: Talk to us about how this came to be. So... When I was a lawyer, there was no one else who was in my calendar. So, you know, I was in client services. It was really demanding, but I owned my calendar. I didn't have an executive assistant. I didn't manage people. As a lawyer, you kind of go into your job and get out. Um, and so when I started The Riveter and the team started growing, other people would put things on my calendar uh, and start scheduling things for me, which is great and necessary and has to happen. But I realized I wasn't seeing my kids as much as I wanted to. And look, my career is really demanding, but I have deep joy in spending time with my kids and I love it. I wanted to be a mom and I want to do it. I've blocked out of my calendar a chunk of time every day. And sometimes it's in the morning and sometimes it's in the evening where I get to see my kids and we can just hang out. And so most mornings we have family breakfast where we all sit around the table because family dinner isn't really a reality for us right now. But it's great. We sit around the table. We we talk. The children that can talk because some of them (laughs) can't yet um, and hang out and we play. So
2: I love your family. I've never (laughs) met them, but I feel like this is just so cute.
0: They're fun. I have four little girls, which is incredible. Um,
2: Are you off your phone during that time?
0: Mostly. I will sometimes check it, but I ask my team to call if something is super, super important so that I'm not just constantly checking email. But I do have a problem like staying off my phone for long periods of time because, I don't know, it's hard. It's
1: hard. So we didn't let you finish your answer before what your typical day is. I do want you to finish that. Okay. So, okay, we get, you're on the treadmill. It's 5 a.m.
0: We're sleeping, you're treading. Yeah. (laughs) Then what happens? You know, shower, nurse. I'm nursing my daughter and pump. Like breastfeeding and pumping takes up an inordinate amount of time. It's funny, I was thinking about it last year and I did the math and it is actually almost a full-time job to breastfeed for a year, like the number of hours you put in. So that's like a part of the morning right now. Once or twice a week, I take my kids to school. And so that's like between 8.30 and 9. And on those days, I get into the office around 9.15. And then a lot of my day is meetings. It's meetings with my team. It's brainstorms, meeting with investors. The Riveter has raised over $20 million. So I have my fair share of investors. And then I'm out meeting with Riveter members and talking to them about what they're doing and then meeting with partners. So it's lots of meetings and sometimes it's hard to find heads down time. My day is really just kind of like all around and about and meetings and talking to people. And then if I have spent the morning with the kids, I tend to go home after seven. So I just you know kind of put in the hours and I find the heads down time in the evening at work when things are quieter. Do you still identify as a lawyer? Interesting question. So I think I will always identify as a lawyer in some ways. But what I've realized is lawyering was a great training ground for me, but wasn't the right career for me.
1: Why wasn't it the right career for you?
0: So it's really interesting. I went into litigation because I like problem solving. I like people. I like thinking on my feet. I wanted to be in the courtroom. But the thing is, as a litigator, which was surprising to me, I think, when I started, I spent a lot of time alone in an office writing and reading and looking at documents and I am about as extroverted as you can get and so I found that to be just isolating and lonely in some ways and I wanted to be around people and I wanted to be on my feet the things I had sought out lawyering to do and so entrepreneurship as you know gives you all of that as an opportunity and more
2: did you think about starting your own practice
0: I did. I'd really thought I'd just keep practicing law for a very long time. The other option to me seemed to be politics because I had that in my background. But when I became a mom, really actually when I got pregnant with my first daughter, the world around me kind of changed. I didn't think that I changed, but I felt like the world's perception of me changed and specifically my colleagues and my bosses. And I don't think that my experience was singular as a mother and becoming a mother in corporate America. And ultimately I didn't find the paradigm to be working for me. where I worked, it was kind of very old school and that you had to be at your desk from nine to six. And with a commute, it meant I literally didn't see my kids and I wanted to work. I am a hard worker. It's a huge part of my identity, but I I needed some flexibility. I needed it to look a little bit different. So I thought that I would go out on my own as a lawyer. So why didn't you? (laughs) (laughs) I started thinking about how I would go out on my own when I was on parental leave with my second daughter, Reese, and this was in the summer of 2016. And I started taking classes on like how to write a business plan and how to do financial projections because I had a JD and an MBA and I'm super type A and needed to know those things before I went out and did it. And those classes were at co-working spaces around Seattle. And I won't name any names, but like they were really male dominated. And it was surprising to me because if co-working is supposed to be kind of this harbinger of the future of work and women are half of the workforce, why weren't they present? Like in one co-working space, there were bean bags. Video games, kegs, ping pong, pool, like all in one room.
2: That's like the exact opposite of what I would choose to (laughs) film. Yeah,
0: exactly. (laughs) As a woman in my mid-30s, it wasn't what I was up for. And the interesting thing is the classes themselves were also all men. And that was really surprising to me because I know women are starting so many businesses. But when I thought about it for like five seconds, I was like, well, of course there aren't women here because they don't feel welcome. This wasn't built for them. So I thought that instead of building my own legal practice, maybe the thing to do would be to build what I wanted which would be a community and space for women.
2: And we're going to get into the Riveter and what it is today and how you built it. But one question I just have, did those classes actually help you?
0: You know what? A couple of them did. Yeah. So the one that really helped me a lot um, was around financial projections because I had no background in finance. So like that was really helpful. And ultimately, like if I'm being really honest, I did end up hiring someone to help me build my financial model because you wanted it to work and be real. And yeah. I wasn't. The one to do that?
2: We we did it as well. We just didn't take those classes. (laughs) And one thing we talk about is like we should have maybe even just for the confidence of going into it. But since we didn't, I always wonder. Yeah, I mean, I took
0: like four. I think one was a series of three classes and the other ones were like single Mm -hmm. classes. But the thing that gave me confidence in some ways is like, okay, I can do this. Because I think sometimes we think entrepreneurship is unattainable. You're like, I don't have an MBA. I'm not prepared to do this. I don't have the skills. Well, you don't really have to have any skills to start a company. You just have to have like the grit, the hustle and ability to learn to do it. And so that was the path.
1: Let's drill down on that. Down. I think so many people, especially um, of like the millennial woman generation, I believe it's like some north of 60% say that they want to start their own business. Wow. It's an amazing statistic. I'm curious because I think for so many, there is the hurdle around, well, I don't know if my skill set. Would set me up to start my own business. So, mm-hmm. what you just said of like, it's really about the hustle and grit, I want you to unpack that a little bit. For those who are listening, how do you approach the skill set gap that maybe you have?
0: So, I want to back up a minute because that was said somewhat flippantly. And I think there's something super important that we have to address in starting a business. Before you talk about the hustle and the grit and your skill set, you have to talk about money. Yeah. So, you have to have the ability to feed yourself and house yourself without taking a paycheck for a while. And I think it's really important we don't talk about that a lot. But, you know, my husband and I sat down before I quit my job as an attorney and we made a spreadsheet of our personal financial runway and how long we had where we could pay for childcare and live the way we wanted to live because we were in our mid-30s and there were certain things we didn't want to give up. So how long we could do all of that without me drawing a paycheck at his salary. And it was 23 months. I knew exactly how long I had.
2: That's a long time.
0: It was a long time but I had been a lawyer for 10 years so I had saved yeah. money right so that's like it.
2: And it's it's also not a long time when you think about it it's more than well we had $5000 which at the right. time <laughs> yeah for we were going to make that last but I think it is important to talk about up front.
0: It really is. Because I think there's always a like jump into your dream, do whatever you want, and you have to be able to feed yourself. And I had to feed kids too. Right. So I had that going. Look, my husband is the ultimate feminist and he supported me in doing this. But also we relied on his salary. So it wasn't just me. I had him to rely on. And it's important to recognize that as well. And I'm super grateful for it.
1: we have always relied on uber to get from one place to another um but we are very very excited that uber has launched ride check which is a brand new safety feature Uses GPS and smartphone sensors. It can detect if a trip is going unusually off course and check in to provide support and make sure you're okay. Very, very excited to see this happen.
2: You've got a lot of things to think about and not worrying about your safety while you are in a rideshare is one thing to take off of your plate. Um, So all drivers are background checked before their first ride which includes driving and criminal history checks. Plus, Uber rescreens drivers every year and uses tech to look for issues in between. Uh, all important things. So ride check is just one of the ways Uber is committed to safety. Learn more at uber.com slash safety. That's uber.com slash safety.
1: So going back to how to become an entrepreneur, talk to us a little bit about what that grit and hustle means, especially for those that are listening.
0: Yeah. I mean, so in terms of the skill set, I think it's really important to identify what you know how to do, what you think you can learn and then who you can surround yourself with that knows all the other parts that you need to know. And it's hard, because I think when you're starting, you don't really know what you need to know. You figure it out over time. But like I've learned over the past two years that my best bet in the world is hiring people that have more experience than me, that are smarter than me, that have these really great skill sets. But in terms of the grit and the hustle, like when you start a company, particularly if you take investment funds and you take the venture route, you're walking through a one-way door and you're walking into a room that you can't get out of. And you have to be in that room when it feels almost impossible. You have to be in that room when you are so tired you can't do anything. You have to be in that room on holidays and weekends and late at night. And so you have to have an enormous amount of grit just to say, okay, I will push through no matter what. I will find a way. And it's hard. I mean, you know, like there are times when it feels like there's no way out. So everything you just said
2: is true and has been part of our story. And hearing you say it, it was like the
0: anxiety just ramps up again. (laughs) Well, it's interesting because, you know, we've raised three rounds of funding. And I eventually will raise money again. And we've got a great business model. We've got great traction. Like we'll raise the money. But at the same time, whenever I think about it, like my stomach tightens. And yep. I'm like,
2: oh, yeah. That, that was just my reaction. Yeah, yeah. Uh, how was it to raise those initial rounds?
0: Yeah, so my first round was a six hundred thousand dollar angel round, and it's really interesting because everyone's like, "Go raise a friends and family round," and I'm like, "Who the hell are your friends and family?" <laughs> like my family, <laughs> like, I know, show all the It's time just like, yeah, whatever. You
2: know, when you look back and you call it an angel round, or people are like, "Oh, that's your friends and family round," I'm like, but it's like distant friends, maybe. Right? Yeah. I mean, they're not actually people
0: that you know, unless for some it is. For some it people, it is but, right. Yeah. And I think, and that's the interesting thing to talk about, like the PayPal mafia, right? Because mm-hmm. like. The founders of PayPal and the early employees of PayPal, they all made a lot of money. They were all men. And after they got out, they all funded each other. Right? And that's the idea. And that's what we need to create on our side as well. Our side being the women's side. So I raised a $600,000 round and I really treated it at the time like a sales process. And I made a spreadsheet of anyone I knew who could connect me to people who I thought had money Essentially, and then I also did a lot of research in tech publications to figure out who the angel investors in Seattle were that invested on a somewhat frequent basis. And so I put together a six hundred thousand dollar round in a couple of months, which was, I mean, looking back at yeah, it, that's I'm like, not I had easy a, to do. Not. And I had a PowerPoint, and I'm like, "How did we do that?" But part of it is, I think, I was in my mid thirties. I had experience. I'd worked on Wall Street. I was the right person to build it because I was solving a problem for myself. So we
1: keep saying it. <laughs> I want to just go back a few steps. Walk us through. You and your husband have made a spreadsheet of what your runway will be. You know that you thought you wanted to have your own law firm. You're seeing something in these co-working spaces mm-hmm. that is not appealing to you. Where does the riveter come in? What is the itch?
0: Yeah, I mean, so it was interesting. So I started seeing that around the summer of 2016 and I entered a pitch competition. Because I wanted to kind of flesh out the idea of what I wanted to build. And I thought, if I do a pitch competition, it'll force me to put everything together. Because I think sometimes when we have an idea and we have a a day job, it's really hard to find the time to actually get moving. So I did this pitch competition, and it forced me to kind of think about what the Riveter would be, what I wanted it to be, to name it. Naming is an important thing. And I did the pitch competition in November of 2016. It was Friday, November 4th. And I won, which is amazing. So I won a $10,000 check, which I thought was like the most money in the whole world. (laughs) I really, I mean, pitched a lot of what the Riveter is today, saying that we would start with the idea of these physical spaces and co-working revenue and go from there to build a broader membership network with the goal of changing the paradigm for working women. And then the next Tuesday was a presidential election. And then the week after that, I quit my job.
1: I have so many things I want (laughs) to ask you. First, when I'm listening to you talk, you come off really strong, incredibly focused. You have your shit together as much as anyone can have their shit together. And nobody has it all together. But you have a family where you know how to prioritize, where you get value in life and your purpose. You had a really great education and work experience. And you had that hustle and grit. And so when I'm picturing you in this moment, I'm picturing you moving things out of your way that are preventing you from bringing a new type of baby to life. But was there anything that was an uphill battle for you? What I mean by that is there's a lot of external circumstances, like the venture world is an uphill battle. But was there a skill set for you that you didn't have, that you had to learn how to have to be able to do this?
0: Yes, 100%. And that skill set, it's interesting, because I didn't know this would be the hardest part, but it makes sense it's the hardest part for me. Uh, And it's managing people and building the team.
1: I really wish we had met you earlier. (laughs) Yeah, it's the the hardest part for us as well.
0: It's so hard. It stems from the side of, I was a lawyer, which I mentioned like, I never managed anybody, like I hadn't managed anyone. And then there comes from the part, I live in Seattle, which I love dearly. It's an incredible place to live, but I was raised professionally in New York. Those are different work cultures. Yeah. I veer much more toward the New York culture and attitude. Like I've had to self edit to grow this company in Seattle. And then just like figuring out what expertise I needed, hiring at the right time, building a corporate culture is incredibly hard. I think it's harder for women. I like stand by that all day. Women in leadership—it's a hard thing that we aren't used to on any on any end. Whether we are the women in leadership, whether women are working for us, like it's just tough.
2: I want to talk about your decision to expand the Riveter nationwide because I think that's a really important point. Mm-hmm. When you think of startups and startup models and co-working models, they seem to be coastal or focused in coastal. Yep. You just talked about having a New York perspective on work. You're from the Midwest. I'm from the Midwest too. And I think it's interesting to see startups come from different parts of the country.
0: I mean, someone was telling me the other day, like how much of VC funding goes to startups in San Francisco and New York. And it's something like 85%, like almost all of it. When I came up with the idea for the Riveter at first, I thought I would build one, but very quickly decided to build something across the country. I think part of it was when I thought about starting a business, any business you start, you have to go all in and give it everything. And so it was like, if I'm gonna do this, why not try to build it for as many people as possible? I had no idea what that would entail, but decided I would do it. And then the other thing is like, I am from the Midwest and the middle of the country means a lot to me. It's where most of my family is. I think there are incredible companies being built in the middle of the country. I think there are incredible women doing it. And I think they don't have as much of a platform as you do on the coast, simply because of the media. I mean, even in Seattle, we don't have much media. It's just a really different place to build a company. I wanted to talk to those women. I think if you look at Texas, right, like the demographics are changing in Texas so quickly. It is the future of America. Like, that's what it will look like. And so to be there now when that's happening is thrilling.
1: You're obviously not the only company that explored co-working spaces, explored giving women a place to feel that they could be a mom and Mm -hmm. also have a career what was your differentiator early on?
0: I think um, I think a couple of things, I, or three things, actually, I would go to. Um, the Riveter from day one was built by women for everyone. And that, that's been what, integral. What does to, that mean? It means that we have male members and that we've had them from the beginning. So our membership is 30% male. So it's not token. Like, that's a very real part of what the Riveter is. My thinking behind that is a lot of women who are building companies hired men. And I wanted them to be able to work at the Riveter. I wanted women to be able to meet with men. Also, not everyone has a gender identity, and I didn't want to force people into a funnel of choosing one. And then finally, like if we are going to change things for women in work, you've got to get men involved. They still hold the power, and so if they're not on board and they're not standing shoulder to shoulder with us, I don't think anything will ever change. So I think that was a big piece of it. I think another one is that I am a mom, and so in building this and talking to working mothers, I started it after I had been a mom, and that has resonated with a lot of people and a lot of members of my team are mothers as well. And so we can stand in this position of saying like, we know what the struggles are. And a lot of our members are starting companies after becoming moms and you don't see that in the media a lot. And so if you don't see it, it's hard to be it or believe you can do it. It's a large reason of why I share a lot of my life on Instagram because I didn't see it when I started the company. I was trying to find women who had started companies after they'd been mothers and it was difficult to find them. And so you think, is it too late? And then the final thing is, like, we had this idea and design of accessibility and inclusivity. So our lowest price point is $19 a month. And our events are mostly open to the public, almost all of them, because I want everyone to have access to what we're doing. I think there's a lot of amazing private clubs in the country, and I didn't want to build that.
1: Do you think of the Riveter as a real estate company?
0: I think of us as a membership network and a movement. So, we use real estate. Like, it's a useful tool for us. Our spaces, I think of them as like lighthouses where some people work, some people gather, some people activate. Um, and so they're really important to what we're doing, but they're not the whole thing. What do you think of WeWork and the
2: recent news?
0: WeWork. Um, you knew that was coming. Yeah. So, <laughs> uh, you know, I think that WeWork's core business model is powerful. And I think. That WeWork's leadership was unchecked. I think it's something that we see among male founders in this country a lot. I think you could draw parallels to Uber um, and a lot of other companies. And, uh, you know, it's fascinating. And like, I feel very deeply for a lot of people who are impacted by what happened at WeWork. And I wish for them something different. Yeah.
2: Well, it seems like the Riveter's hiring.
0: so (laughs) We're always hiring. you
2: You made an interesting point. When you started the Riveter, you were already a mom. And so were a lot of the people that were early in the Riveter story. What was that like doing all of this? You were newly pregnant with your third kid at the time. Did you plan it that way?
0: So I did want to have a third child. And my husband and I were like, well, we should do it. Like, while I'm starting the company before it gets any traction because that'll be easier. I mean, whatever. What were we thinking?
2: (laughs) But like. um, And my point was more not asking about your family planning, but more like (laughs) I think so many women, including the two of us, are obsessed with trying to plot out the best times to do
0: all of these things. I mean, the point is there's never a good time, right? Like there's never the right time. You know, I, I was really compelled to start the Riveter because of my experience as a mother in corporate America, because before I became a mom, I was like, I can do this. I can succeed in this paradigm. I'm doing it. Look at me. Right. And then when I had a kid and the world around me changed and what they thought of me, that was really frustrating and disheartening. And I think like we still lose almost half of women with college degrees after they have kids from the workforce, which is like a stunning number. And so, yeah, for me, that's how it shook out. But the thing is, there's never a good time. It's always going to be really hard. But it's also always going to be wonderful if you choose to be a parent. There's a lot of good to it. And you just figure it out. I have a lot of help. And I'm very privileged to be able to pay for that help. And I also have, you know, my mother had been a public school teacher for 36 years. And she had retired. And she lives in Ohio. But she came out for the better part of three years wow, and lived in my home. And was a second mother to my kids. Wow.
2: And you're still married.
0: And I'm still married. Do you still talk to
2: me? <laughs> I'm like, we should have invited your husband. <laughs> he's <is> amazing.
0: <laughs> he's really great. And, um he just left Amazon after seven years. So oh, he had wow. a very yes. he's still and now he's on his own too. We have two entrepreneurs. But uh yes, we're still married. Um but we also like I will say too, you know, you, you hear Michelle Obama talk a lot about like the most important decision you'll ever make is who you marry. And I do believe that is one of the critical decisions in life. And my husband and I, we knew who we married and we both had great ambitions and we both wanted to have big careers. And so we just help each other do that.
2: What do you think of the notion that women can have it all?
0: Oh, that's such like a loaded statement. Because the one thing is like, we never question whether men can have it all. I think that you can build your life how you want to dealing with the fact that there's a lot of bias and issues in our country particularly for women of color but you can build the life you want to if you're really clear and if you make trade-offs i think a lot about randy zuckerberg saying like pick three i always try to pick four because i'm always like punch myself in the face a little bit Um, (laughs) but like right now i don't go out with friends i'll own that i do not have a social life at all but you know what right now that's okay Because I lived in New York for a really long time until I was in my early 30s. And I went to every party and I stayed very late. And I had a lot of fun. And I know that there's another chapter where I'll get to spend a lot of time with my friends. And luckily, my friends are forgiving and wonderful. But something had to give, right? So, like, I don't have it all, right? I don't spend time with my friends. What do you hope your daughters say that their mom does for a living? They know that I work at the Riveter with a lot of cool girls that they really like, I don't, you know, my oldest is five. My kids are so young. So I think the thing I hope is that my daughter says mommy loves her work because I do. And so it's hard for them. I travel a lot. And, you know, I wonder if I'm doing the right thing all the time. But my kids are very loved by a lot of people. And it's important that whenever work comes up, I tell them that I love it. And I tell them it's important to me. And I care about it. When I think about the Riveter in an ideal state, my dream would be that it is somewhere my daughters would want to work.
1: For those that have chosen not to work after having a family, what should the Riveter mean to them?
0: Yeah, I mean, the Riveter, it's a community of women who are looking at what their lives are and can be. We have a lot of members at the Riveter that don't work, but they come to us because we do a lot of other things outside of just that professional work. We do a lot about advocating both for yourself and advocating for your community. I think a lot of people today across the country are looking for ways to be engaged. And we help them do that through different initiatives that we have. And we also talk a lot about the different transitions through work. Life and work aren't like a a straight line, right? Like there's ups and downs. There's different chapters. And so there's conversations to be had for all of those different chapters. And we try to be a place in a community where that can happen.
1: We're going to move to our favorite segment, the lightning round. Lightning round. (laughs) Here we go.
0: Should we do dun, dun, dun? All right.
2: You talked about your first job, so we're going to skip that one.
0: Okay. (laughs) Worst job. My worst job was actually as an in-house attorney. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Which I always hear is better than being an attorney at a firm. So that that well, actually surprises me. Well, I
0: think it's partly like my personality. Yeah. So like a lot of people like going in-house because it's like more predictable and stable. And I was like, well, that's not very interesting. <laughs> I like chaos. So. <laughs> uh, what drives you? My family. What's the last show you binge watched? Ozarks.
2: Oh. What's your biggest vice? Diet Coke. <laughs> Uh, worst professional mistake you've made?
0: One time I made a mistake and didn't own up to it right away. And I think that that, like, I am a big believer in taking responsibility. And I I did own up to it. I didn't lie. But like, it took me a day to be like, oh, I screwed this up and I need to tell you.
2: Worst piece of advice you've gotten?
0: Worst piece of advice i gotten um, was to not start The Riveter.
2: When was the last time you negotiated for yourself? Yesterday. Favorite guest at The Riveter or at your summit?
0: The person that comes to mind is Ijeoma Oluo. She wrote a book called So You Wanna Talk About Race and it is a hard book and it is an important book. And we had an incredible conversation with Ijeoma um, at the Riveter last year.
2: Dream guest?
0: Michelle Obama.
2: Same here. <laughs> <laughs> a, I mean, you you get her at the summit, we'll record a live skim from the couch. All right, and I'll, we'll email, I'll email her.
0: I don't have her address, but we will find her email We will address. make her
2: time so productive. Yes. I think it would be great, we could yes. be really efficient.
0: <laughs> Hit all, the, hit all the points.
2: A uh, shameless plug.
0: The Riveter is coming to New York. So we are hosting our first ever national summit on November 6th and 7th at Highline Stages. We have incredible speakers from Robin Roberts to Stacey Abrams and more. Um, and it's a blend of kind of interesting keynote panels and then panels on how to be a part of your community and how to activate. So we're thrilled to be here and everyone should come.
2: Amy, thank you so much. We really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you. Congratulations. <laughs> Thanks for hanging out with us. Join us next week for another episode of Skim from the Couch. And if you can't wait until then, subscribe to
1: our daily email newsletter that gives you all the important news and information you need to start your
2: day. Sign up at theskim.com. That's the S-K-I-M-M dot com. Two M's for a little something extra.